Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. I've always been fascinated by the ideas and sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture galvanized to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow. Whether it's food, transportation, cities, biology, or anything else, it was this cultural mindset rooted in optimism that the world tomorrow would be better than the world today. A mindset where people were compelled to build things, and I quote JFK, not because they were easy, but because they were hard. It's this desire to build and to dream that seems to have been lost, and something we're here to bring back. With Build the Future, we're here to promote the ideas and stories of those who see how the future can be better, and promote their plans to get us there. It's our mission to get you to dream about the possibilities of tomorrow dream about the future that you want to live in and inspire you to go build. Today we're talking with Rick Pilgrim, the CEO of Duction, where they're developing next generation propulsion systems. In doing so, they're helping accelerate us to a future where we can travel sustainably with electric motors. Let's jump right in. Tell me about the future y'all are building at, at Duction. What's the, what's the vision? There's two keys to electric transportation. One is power density of the energy source. So batteries, you know, got to have very dense, power dense batteries, or you got to have a way to have something like liquid hydrogen tanks that uh, can be, you know, used in moving vehicles. Those are challenges, right? Like hydrogen is real small. That molecule is like really freaking small and how to safely transport that, how to safely transport that as an issue. But we see that as a, a key to what we're doing. One, one of the pillars or barriers to entry, I should say, for technology to get us to cleaner transportation is high density power sources that are clean. The other one is high density motors a way to turn that energy in a very efficient manner into motion. Weight, not such an issue on a train, not such an issue on a truck or a car. It's a a bit of an issue, but mm, yeah, not so much. Those things are having a huge issue in aerospace. Right, because you have to get off the ground, right? You got to get off the ground and you got to freaking stay up there. Stay there. (laughs) The way it works now, so you take off, right? And then you're cruising along. And then, but as you go along, you burn fuel. So you're getting lighter as you go. You're getting more efficient as you fly from LA to New York. And by the time you hit Chicago, man, you're light compared to and when you land, you're real light. And how that impacts landing is that when you land, you got to stop. So the length of runways for the size of an aircraft with a given uh, set of uh, brake parameters, braking parameters, emergency, you know, you got to build in all those contingencies for how you're going to screw up when you've got to screw up there. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you got to have a certain length of runway for a 747 to land. One of the big things on that is how much does it weigh when it comes down? So they don't have fuel now when they come down. You know, with batteries, you're going to have them batteries when you come down. They're just not going to have any juice left in them. Hydrogen will be different. For example, so the power density in a motor is paramount. And in, in particular, a jet. Most of the pollution we put into the atmosphere is put in there with jets by far. 
and it's in okay. the jet stream. If we want to think about the airstream, like a stream of water, we get, I mean, that thing, you know, that circulates obviously around the planet, right? We get up there and we put CO2 generators out. They're called jet engines. Seriously, I'm not joking. That's what we're doing. We're going up there and we're just, you ever, you ever watch uh, old 60s and 70s shows? I love Hawaii Five-0. I, I, I love Hawaii Five-0, the original series, right? You see a lot of planes landing, coming into Hawaii. Man, there's nothing but black coming out of the back of those things, you know, and they're doing that in the sky. So I think it's easy for us to say, oh, that's not so bad. That's, what, but that's because we don't see it. But it's a huge amount of uh, carbon we're putting. And where are we putting it? We're putting it right where we don't want it, in the upper atmosphere. So to really impact it, we got to have a jet that's green. And, you know, there are movers now with motors, because motors are well understood, reliability, things with propellers on them. So our first thought, our first one we started, we wanted to have a jet that uh, was fully electric. Let someone else worry about the power source. We just wanted to have a very efficient motor. And that motor needed to be, have the same power output for diameter as an existing jet engine today. That was our goal. That's, uh, we believe that's what we've achieved in, you know, in our design. What did that process look like and kind of where, where are things at right now with you guys? So we looked at what is the most power dense way to build a jet motor. And the characterization for power density of a motor is D squared L. So the diameter squared times the length. So for every little bit of diameter, you could design a motor where it had a big diameter and a very short length to do what you wanted to do. You get that exponential uh, growth in power density. And so we built a motor that was hollow. So where, where we're measuring the diameter at is pretty large compared to the length of the machine. So uh, the one we're building right now has a 30 centimeter, that's a foot for everybody in the real world. That's a, a, a foot diameter and it's only about four inches long. So it looks like a thick bicycle wheel. If you, you, you get it right down to what you're looking at, right? There's stuff on it, there's giblets on it all over to make the airflow through it and that, but there's no weight or to it or nothing like that for that. So with that understanding, Thought, well, what's the best way, you know, what's the best way to build it? So, so the center becomes hollow. And uh, that's what becomes the jet. So when you're looking at a jet engine and you've looked at the video, so you know what I'm talking about, like the transformation from a traditional jet to, to ours, that was a boundary that we used for design to get it to, get it to that point. Uh, we used permanent magnets on the rotor of the motor. And they're, you know, designed in, like, we got some great guys. We got this guy, uh, Shake Robbie, uh, PhD guru guy. He's awesome, right? He's, he's, he's our CTO. Man, he's just like, this guy's golden. But what he really knows is, one thing he's expert in, is that how to get that power density across that air gap. How to arrange those magnets. What magnets to use. How to, exactly, how do you do it to make it as power dense as possible? Because that's really the key. That's the key to this, right? Our engineering team has designed several uh, motors and several iterations of motors to get to where we are today. The blades in a traditional 
jet engine is a fan blade. So just like a fan in the ceiling, you got a shaft coming out of a motor. And what we have is you have that shaft, but the motor is not behind the shaft in the middle. The motor is, there's another hoop that's connected to the outside of those fan blades and the magnets are on that hoop. And so it's, it's called rim driven. So it's driven from the outside. And what that gives you is a whole open area to have air mass flow through. In a traditional jet engine, everything's in the middle to drive. So you're blocking, kind of blocking the middle of it. I think those are the main things. Why were magnets the thing? Because it gives you power density. It, it allows you to have a very, for a given weight. And what I mean by that is for a given weight of the motor, it gives you more power. Like you can put more power through it. A jet engine, it's a multi-stage compressor. There's kind of two paths for air to flow when it comes in front of a jet engine. One is called the core and the other one's called the bypass. So the bypass is just as one would think is the air that goes around the core. So the front end is something like ours. It's just a fan blade. And so the other, which is gives about depending on the uh, jet engine, 80 to 90% of the thrust actually comes from that stage. The rest of it, there, it's a multi-stage compressor that's, you know, they have blades that turn really quickly in there and pressures up that air going into the core. And then they heat it up with thermal. Yeah, of course, they're using fuel then to burn it. And as it expands, it gets shot out the back and that's what creates the additional thrust. That's how a, a jet engine works. But what we have is something like the front, you know, just the, the front stage of it, basically. Except we have some other advantages because we're an electric motor. So we can, you know, we get some more efficiency out of that. Although, you know, modern jet engines are pretty efficient. They're burning fuel to do it, but they're pretty powerful. They've been doing that for a long time now. They're pretty efficient. Also, I would say that they're noisy. You can imagine what that thermal is doing, roaring next to you. But also they, in the front, that big fan they have up front, it has tips on it like any fan. And when it, and even here with a drone as well, even, or any other airplane that has a propeller on it, that tip of that propeller makes noise, just like a whip, you know, when you, when you crack it, right? So the tip, you get that tip noise. In our design, we, we, one, one of the things that we think, and now it's really obvious, air mobility in urban centers will require quieter operation of aircraft. Yeah, like you can't like the Jetsons, right? If you're going to have the Jetsons, you can't have uh, you can't have that in your backyard sounding like a jet engine just landing in your backyard. Yeah, or or even drones, quite honestly, or even a helicopter, right? Like it's really loud, and drones, even just a little drone, like if you get a fair sized drone, that thing's something. It's like a like a chainsaw, right? It's like a chainsaw in your backyard. So. In order to get that thrust and be quiet, we put a, a shroud on it. And it's, uh, it's always more ways to make a smarter mousetrap or whatever. But the way we've done it, we put a, a hoop on the outside of it. So the actual blades connect to the hoop. We also need it because of our topology of our machine because it's rim driven. So it's connected out there and it's connected in at the hub. So there is no tip to make noise. And there's no thermal engine in it to roar <laughs> and the flame is, you know, heating up that air to push it out through the back end. 
so we get rid of both those problems, acoustic problems. So it's, it becomes a quieter thing. One of the coolest aspects of all of this is how does the electric transportation like change the way we, we move within cities and between cities? And what do we need to do to get there? Because one of the, it seems like one of the challenges is like, yeah, these things are noisy. No one wants a chainsaw going off at all hours. And especially if they're flying overhead, like it'd be nonstop. It'd be like a helicopter going over, over your house, right? Right. It was just like a car leaving, right? Uh, if the car sounded like that next door. Yeah, so it's there's energy. You need and you gotta plug it in. You gotta, you know, you're gonna power it. Probably you want something that's gonna power it at your house. I mean, you could do natural gas or something like that, I guess, would be a way to to do that. And people like uh, uh, Honeywell are pushing towards having a, a generator that's powered by jet A, by jet fuel in the aircraft, which is a great interim interim step. And we see that as helping us in, in, you know, in pushing our technology forward. But the, one of the big challenges is to be able to take it from, basically take it from your house. Or if it's going to, you know, if it's going to really saturate, penetrate into the market like that, it's got to be something yeah. that you can get the energy into it at your house. And it's got to be quiet enough to be able to operate in the neighborhood. And it's got to have energy density, just like the adoption of cars, right? Same. It's the same thing. There's kind of two parts. One is if you look at companies like uh, Archer, they just get a tentative deal now with United, right? And it's going to be in LA that they're going to do this first uh, thing. And it's, and it's going to be, it's an aircraft, transporter aircraft that'll go from Hollywood or Long Beach or somewhere. And it's going to go to LAX to the, to the United. Uh, I always call those guys Continental, Continental Sound with United. It'll go to their hub, I think, you know, to their, uh, what am I trying to say? Terminal. Uh, yeah, and it'll just be, it'll be a thing. There's that. And then there's, which a derivative of that will be what Bob and Doug McKenzie drive from home in. You know, what we, you and I will go to work in, some variation of that. And the other thing is the aircraft that they're going to get on will also be, have electric propulsion at least. Who knows what the energy is to make that electricity in it, but the propulsion itself can be driven electrically. I think, you know, our technology right now is where, like right now we're small. What we're building at the moment is, is 30 centimeters. And it gives about 500 pound force, which is smaller, smaller than any jet engine right now. But our next one is 50 centimeters, which we'll have built next year. And that gives almost 2000 pound force, 1800 pound force, which is a Pratt & Whitney smallest Pratt and Whitney jet on something like a Embraer Phenom. That's the thrust on Are you familiar with the um, Cirrus Vision jet? It's got a tail on it like that, one engine on it, and it's got like five passengers, personal, it's a personal jet, like $2 million jet. That has a Williams engine in it with that sort of size. So that size uh, motor can replace those jet engines. We have designs, preliminary designs, I would say, but designs for sure, uh, out to about two meters in diameter, so six six feet in diameter, and the thrust at sea level is around twenty seven thousand pounds, which is the equivalent of a seven forty seven Max Leap One B engine. So, I mean, there are engineering challenges there, but there's no there's no magic, there's no new physics needed for it. This is to be used and very disruptive, right? 
So we have, I, I think we have to be, there's nobody swinging for this. There's nobody swinging for this. All the, the jet engine manufacturers, those guys are fat and happy. If anybody's fat and happy in aviation today, which is not many people, uh, are making money on the maintenance of these very expensive mechanical machines that break. They have a lot of parts that can break in them. And in order to get to a, an acceptable mean time between failure for the FAA and others, they have to be repaired on a constant basis, overhauled on a constant basis. That makes them usable in aerospace. So that, that's the model. And to go and say, All right, we're going to get rid of that now, and we're going to go to this, I mean, that, that's crazy, right? That's, uh, why, would, why would anybody want to do that? Except maybe the airlines? The state of things right now is you have the engine manufacturers who are very happy providing maintenance for their jet engines, probably day in, day out. But either way, there's nothing kind of pressuring them to kind of shift. Even though you have the the environmental angle, you have like the sustainability angle, there's just, they're kind of, as you said, fat and happy. And so upstarts like, like you guys have to figure out, okay, how do we like do this differently? How do we challenge the status quo? How do we kind of tackle the existing playbook? Yeah. And without a lot of money, you know, it's hard to say we will build it and they will come because uh, who's going to come? So if you build this thing and we build one, that is induction, but this will now permanent matter. It take it's, you know, there's a considerable barriers to entry in aerospace. Who would have thought there? I think to develop another engine is like, man, I, I want to say it's like a billion dollars. I don't I could be wrong. I could be an order of magnitude wrong on that. But I, but I don't think so. It's a lot of money to develop a jet engine program inside of one of these guys, right? So to to shift it, to be disruptive in this space, you just sort of got to do it. You've got to get out there and do, you just, just got to do it. Say, well, the regulators will take forever. Okay, let's just do it. Let's just build it. And they will come. Maybe the customers will come. They, there's a lot of risk around that, but, but I have, uh, I had a lot of faith, man, that the world wants to pull this way. There's a lot of people who want to pull this way. So we just got to stand out there and you never know the number of people that say to us, you want to do what? Yeah, that'll take certification. It'll take 10 years. Everybody says that to me, man. Everybody says that, right? Certification will take 10. We, we even say <laughs> certification will take 10 years, 15 years. You want somebody to invest in that? So you just have to uh, ignore people and just do it. So you guys are at the point where you're you're proving out the like the the model the the proof of concept, and then it's a, then the challenge really becomes like okay, how do you operationalize this thing, and then kind of start to scale up such that you can get the attention of the airlines or you know different airplane manufacturers like the like the the Cirrus right, Boeing, uh, Airbus, or all these guys right. So we're we have our proof of concept. Right now we're building our small half-scale prototype, third-scale half-scale prototype. And then our, our next our machine next year will be on a jet that has four engines on it, but it'll, it'll carry ours and we'll get data from that. We have a way to test it in the lab and that sort of thing. And, and honestly, the, you know, there's, there's a pretty good community in Canada for that are they're very green conscious. You know, there's a big push for, for that right now up here. 
and it probably is in, in your way as well, right? So that's 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 great. There's a lot of people, you know, say, hey, go, it's great. You're really giving us a lot of encouragement. Sometimes there's a bit of money and sometimes there's just a lot of encouragement. You just need to get, as as you said, Cameron, you need to get to a point where you get enough traction that you get someone's attention who can really take it to the next level. And they say, well, you know, these guys are coming whether they like it or not. And, or someone like them is coming. So let's, uh, let's hop on board. Yeah. I'm curious kind of what the, it seems like one of the, the misconceptions or like, you know, one of the, the things people kind of say about this space, like, oh, the, there's like the battery storage problem, right? Or like the, where's the energy coming from? And how do you like, what's the capacity of the batteries, et cetera. There's also like the, actually, let's talk about that. Cause there's the, uh, this other, other piece, which is like, where is the, the fuel source originating from? Like if you're spending the energy to like mine the lithium or whatever that you need to make the batteries, is that as effective? Like, I don't know. How, how do you, how do you think about these sorts of things? First off with the motors, we, we can't let ourselves be worried about that. That will come. What I mean is that that is a challenge. And if we wait till the energy source is there, it's kind of a chicken or the egg scenario. Do we want to be able to have something that flies a jet, but it needs electricity? Yes. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And how we think of it, okay, so first off, we can't let that hold us back. I, I don't think people can let that hold, hold them back, people who are trying to push that forward. The guys who are building motors for Tesla, or Tesla build motors for Tesla, they put in their cars or whoever, right? Yeah, you want to make battery technology, and that is a huge drive, you know, that's a huge hurdle. But you can't let that stop you from making very power-dense motors that once electricity goes into it, it'll put it into the wheels. Right. So you got to do that. And, and so how I think of that is for what, for the motors we're making, we're not even considering it. I mean, we are obviously, and we think about it, but we, we, for our timeline, our drive to do it, we're just doing it. We're going to make something that's electric that can provide that jet thrust. How I see what's going to happen is different. I think it'll probably be hydrogen, but who knows? There's lots of ways, you know, there's lots of ways to skin a cat. Biofuel, but then you gotta, then you gotta grow it, or you gotta, you know, how much, how much chicken fat can you get out of KFC, man? Put it in your plane, right, or whatever. That you know, there's gotta, you don't want to have more fields going to cow poop to create biofuel or, or, or whatever it is we're we're gonna do to get biofuel and to create electricity. You know, how do you get it? Do you, are we burning coal? <laughs> I mean, are we burning coal to create electricity? Putting electric planes. That's probably not a good idea, right? You know, there has to be a whole zero emissions overall, you know, view. So whether it's nuclear, which is a very, relatively speaking, a very clean way to do something. Obviously, I'm not saying, for anyone who's thinking I'm saying put a nuclear power plant in an airplane, I'm not saying that. But that, you know, that may allow you to create hydrogen, for example. Or is it hydroelectric or wind? Or, you know, those sorts of ways. I, I think that that's a huge infrastructure. Doable. Very doable. If, if we want to do it, we'll do it. Like, you drive out in West Texas. I, I moved up from Texas last year here to do this, to do this job, right? And uh, you went West Texas. It's nothing but you think Texas oil, right? But Texas is probably one of, if not the, it's certainly one of the largest wind energy states in the country. 
there's a lot more infrastructure than I thought doing that. So I think it'll, it'll, the energy will have to come somehow from clean tech. But you guys, you guys mostly focus on the like the engine mechanics and the design of like how do we how do we actually make this thing work? Because there are other the problem like that's the problem you guys are solving, is like what does the engine look like and how do you do that in a, in an electric manner versus like where's the fuel going to come from? What are the other sources like? There are lots of people working in this problem space, and you're focused on hey, we're just going to do the the engine. You got to eat this elephant one bite at a time, I think. Right, right, right. So we're working with these guys. They got Beechcraft 1900s because we also build something other than a jet motor. We also have another motor that goes inside of a propeller. It goes with the propeller. And we put in parallel to the thermal engine. Or it can replace the, you know what turboprop airplane is? Uh, yeah. It's, okay. It's got, like a jet, it's got like a jet engine in it, except no blades. And it just turns and it turns a propeller in through a gearbox. Basically, it's what, yeah, is what, is what, like, uh, all the little commuters that got props on them, you know, they sound like that. They got those, those have jet engines inside of them, but they're they're turbines, we call them, right? Uh, And they're still built by the same, the same people that build jet engines. We did an analysis of the cost of electrifying these aircraft and what you would save. So the savings on what, and I'm talking about power density here. And back to your question on how do you approach that? The maintenance on an electric motor is less than 10%. And it's in reality, it's probably less than 5% of a jet engine. So all of that money can go into loss of revenue because you have to have batteries in there as opposed to people's butts and fuel. So the, if you look at the overall proposition with a huge decrease in maintenance and a cheaper machine, actual machine, but probably not a lot, probably not a lot cheaper. That uh, allows operators to think more seriously about at least a hybrid system. But with a hybrid, you still have the maintenance of, uh, yeah, you have less maintenance because it's hourly and load dependent. There are, you know, different strategies to do that. But I would say the, our big piece that we can give someone that affects that side, the energy density side of the, of the power source is we have so much less maintenance. So you can take that money that you would have spent in maintenance on a jet engine. You can put that into the battery equation. What does the world look like 15, 20, 30 years down the road when you guys are successful and we have electrified all of the main vehicles? Like can you kind of paint, paint me a, the picture, paint the listener the picture of like what they what they can expect that world to look like? What I'd like it to look like anyway when I'm 50 is that with respect to aviation at least, it would look for large aircraft, something like it looks today probably, except, you know, better designs, like everything. But it would be something like hydrogen that gets loaded into the aircraft. And it's, a, it's electric propulsion. So for large movers, it would be similar to something today because you would, wouldn't have a large aircraft at everybody's house that would be still at something like an airport, right? And, and, and depending on the economics of the, how that splits out, it would still split out that way. Traveling from home to work, I see that two ways. If 50 years from now, we'll, we'll have, you know, we already have today. Uh, vehicles 
that are autonomous. And these would be electric autonomous vehicles. That's, that's not a stretch at all with further, a little longer range. For aerospace, I, I see us, the challenge will be control. How are we going to control the airways? So the way to probably control the airways, I think will be autonomous. Possibly you could fly it yourself. There would be a driver's license that allowed the aircraft to do certain things. And that may be how high it can fly, where it can fly, those sorts of things. But there, there definitely would need to be a set of rules. But I mean rules like, you know, four-way stop type of rules. Yeah, what happens to traffic circles? Yeah. Uh, three-dimensional traffic circles, you know, or layered traffic circles, for example. That, that sort of thing. So the controls would have to be in place. But I certainly see, with the advent of what the things we're doing right now in, in 50 years, that that would be something that is the norm. And when we look back at what we're doing today, just the way we're looking back at, let's say, smoking today. 50 years yeah. is a long time. Not really. But if we look back 50 years ago, it'd be like 1970, right? So if you watch TV in 1970, certainly in 1960, you'll see the reporter out there with a cigarette. <laughs> Where today you go, what, what, what? And I, I think we'll look back at today or we'll look back at 20 years ago and say, wow, I can't believe that we were doing that. And uh, it'll, just, it'll just become the norm. The technology's here, except for battery technology. And we kind of hang ourselves in that battery technology all the time. There's other ways to get energy. I think that's a false barrier, batteries. Yeah, I don't think we need batteries. To, we do need batteries for certain things. You'll need, but today, if your fuel system doesn't work, you crash. So you have two fuel systems. You're going to two different engines. We'll have two fuel systems. They just won't be greenhouse gas emitting. That's how I see it going, going forward. Rick, so, so two last things. One is like outside of the work you're doing, induction, like what are you most excited about for the future? And then, and then two, where can people find you and, and where can they support or learn more about the work you guys are doing? What I'm most excited about is an electric jet. I, I, I got to say, I mean, there are things, we're doing a bunch of, we have a marine system as well that we haven't really gotten into. That's a split sort of system that makes it really easy to hybridize a marine vessel today. Like right now you got to take out your shaft and all this stuff and put in generators and all that. But we come up, you probably saw that if they look at our website, uh, which is duction.com, D-U-X-I-O-N.com. Uh, you can see the sorts of products that we have. I'm really excited that the world is getting excited about green transportation. I think it's, it's kind of sacrilege, you know, what, uh, I don't want to overuse words like that, but it's abominable, the things we've done to the planet. And it is what it is. We've had us, you know, we've had quite a century in the 20th century, you know, and not, not to get too high level here, but uh, a lot of stuff, you know, has happened, right? And we've, we've had to use fossil fuels for that. And, and you know, we, we've created a tremendous society because of it. I don't think we should be ashamed of what, in some ways, what we've done. Where we were 150 years ago is a long ways from where we are today. 
And it's a lot, I don't think any of us would go back. I wouldn't. The most exciting and disruptive thing is, is the most disruptive for me. And that's an electric jet that we can have a very power dense thruster basically. And that gives, you know, that just opens up a lot of opportunity for us. All those smart guys are a lot smarter than me to be able to go and apply that to airframes and to stuff that can be done. That's what I'm most excited about. And how people can get in touch with us is they can, there's an info at uh, duction.com, D-U-X-I-O-N.com. If you want to contact us, our website is, uh, as I've said, www.duction.duxion.com. Check us out, man. Check us out. The most important, just to riff on what you were just saying, is like, just because like the the fossil fuels and, and all that is what got us here, doesn't mean we have to, we now have, we now have the opportunity to kind of do something different moving forward. And that's the, the greener, cleaner future that we all look forward to. For sure. Sure. We don't have to be, somebody says, I, I don't know who said it, but I said, uh, it's great that we can stand on the shoulders of the folks that came before us, but we don't have to be held prisoner to it. Right. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so much for, for reaching out. Right. I just, uh, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, thanks Thanks for taking the time to come on. This is fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you're building and want to get support, want to hear about certain topics or hear from certain people, shoot us over an email to hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com or follow me, Cameron, on Twitter at Cam Weesey and we'll see what we can make happen. That's it from us. Until next time, go build.